Cartographers, Hypnospace Outlaw and Root. This is Staying In. I gave up caffeine, actually, when I was when I was uh, doing the journalism thing. I ended up giving up caffeine because obviously I was working lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of hours and um, I ended up having lots and lots of caffeine um, and I ended up I ended up quitting it all cold turkey and I thought I could just give it all up uh, but it, yeah it's not it's not your body says hey I got a minute and your body says hey uh, so I see that you're not giving me that caffeine or any of that sugar and taurine uh, that uh, I've been so enjoying over the last mm, six to nine months uh, so uh, instead what I'm going to give you in return is migraines. <laughs> it's like, oh. What was your caffeine delivery of choice? Um, well, so I would have, uh, so I would have about six or seven cups of coffee throughout the day. Then you'd have lunch. Blimey, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Six or seven. I have one in the morning. Right. And I'm like, shaking. Well, well, this is, this is how bad it got. So six or seven coffees uh, during the day and, I would usually then towards the end of the evening, afternoon, well, sorry, evening and then into the night because I would usually work until like, you know, midnight or something like that. Uh, I'd usually be on, um, I think it's called Blue Bolt, oh. um, which is, uh, it's like a it's like a knockoff Red Bull. Uh, so I'd have like two of those and then cans two. of Coke. And then cans of Coke throughout the rest of the day. And then, and then, and obviously, I was smoking at this time and doing all that and eating really badly and stuff like that. And then um, I just went, you know what? I'm just going to get healthy. <laughs> so I got rid of all the caffeine and I quit smoking. And my body was like, right, <laughs> well. Yeah, but I say you didn't. You didn't just like ease yourself out of it. You just literally just quit everything. Yeah, it was somewhat of a shock to the system. Well, I've, I mean, I've not done anything like that, but I'm, I'm doing a bit of a detox at the moment where mm. I'm like for like five days. I've cut out kind of carbs sugar caffeine all that stuff so i love i don't drink coffee but i drink tea i drink coca-cola all the time so right now i have a can of diet coke with no caffeine so the no caffeine version so there's no sugar mm. no calories no mm. caffeine uh, it's 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 okay yeah does it make the same satisfying sound when you open it down though there is that satisfying when you open it though so that's okay uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I had the headaches. I had my body saying, hey, now, come on, come on. We, we had a good thing going here. Let's not mess things up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had that. I mean, I was thinking it's going to, I've, when I heard people talk about these kind of detox stuff, like after a few days, you kind of, you feel revitalized. I'm like, yes, I'm looking forward to that. I still haven't had it. I should have had it after like day three and I'm on day five and I've not had it. You know how like this detox is supposed to make you healthier. Um, it's not. I've got an ear infection, so that's great. Woke up this morning at <laughs> oh one a.m. and then suddenly couldn't get back to sleep till five a.m. Um, this is on my day off, so my day off that I booked it wasn't a good start to the day, really. So extra energy at the wrong time of day, uh, yeah. which was great. Uh, I then had to go to IKEA and Ooh. spend the rest of the day building furniture. So. Yeah, detoxing's fun. Yeah, have, have you ever? As it, have you? Because uh, I've never done this. I've always wanted to do it. Have you ever given up? Have you ever fully given up just sugar? Like <laughs> I thought you going to say just in general. I, I just I just did some caffeine maths basically, and on average every day, Pete, you're averaging about six hundred twelve milligrams of caffeine. That's at a minimum, really. Yeah, probably. And I'll surprise at this, like the recommended is about 400, which is 10 cans of Coke. 
What? (laughs) I could do that. Uh, Now, now let's let's just be very, very clear for a second. Hold on. When we say recommended, what we really mean is no more than not not necessarily have this amount of caffeine every day. Actually, this is this is the exact wording uh, in this article. Um, It says, "How much is too much?" And it says up to 400 milligrams of caffeine a day appears to be safe for most healthy adults. <laughs> appears to be. You were definitely on the cusp of too much. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I ended up with like, like uh, having like mad heart palpitations and uh, mm. all, all that good stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? What it, you know, it's funny. You, you don't realize what. Put like the stuff that you put in your body really it's like a chemistry set because it basically is right you can do these little experiments on your body you can you can you can get rid of all caffeine and then something will happen some chemical simulation will then happen and then your brain goes okay well if we don't get that then let's just torment him for a bit and then like <laughs> and then and it's the same with like sugars and fats and and all that other sort of stuff right if you go on like you know, some low-carb diet or something like that, you can see how your body changes and adapts to to deal with it, which I think is, like, it's really fascinating. Super dangerous, probably, but... Yeah. I bet you're like Bradley Cooper in Limitless. <laughs> what, what what was, like, when you, when you, like, gave up the caffeine, Pete, what was the biggest change in yourself once you, like, got through the other stage of your... Um... He went to bed. <laughs> 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 when you got the when you got through the other stage of your detox, like yeah. what was the biggest benefit? Not spending about eighty quid a month on caffeine. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, like that was a really big big part of it. The other thing is, um, the big benefit I had was um, it was easier to um, like it when you're on that amount. Like you are chemically kind of yeah you're you're propping yourself up yeah. yeah you're propping yourself you don't feel quite right and you do feel tired a lot right so yeah. um you always feel like you're stealing from the next day mm-hmm. whereas like when you come off of it it feels like to begin with I felt really really tired to begin with but then yeah like I feel like you get a bit more energy I'm sure and you know Dan you know I'm sure well yeah you're getting your energy at different times but like you do get that sense eventually of like your body saying, okay, well, I guess I'll give you the energy then. Or you find ways to, 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 to get your head out of it and, and actually physically motivate yourself to do things like, you know, you use an exercise bike or you, uh, the, the less, the less said about the exercise bike, the better. Like, let's, let's not talk about yeah. the exercise. Bike. It's just the fact you also pointed to the wrong place in your room where we can clearly <laughs> yeah, see yeah. the exercise bike. <laughs> I just imagine, Pete, you were at that stage, a bit like that episode of Futurama when Fry drinks 100 coffees. Oh, I love that episode. It's incredible. And he, he's basically able to see through time. As a journalist, it's a good skill. To basically. be able to see through time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's how the Reuters lot do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, can I talk about a, a lovely thing that has happened during the current awful, unsettling climate we're in? Um, as you probably know, that like lots of the geek industries that we know and love have 
you know, face obviously challenges like a number of businesses and a number of industries recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, my local board game cafe has shut its doors, but what it's done is it's set up a board game rental service. What is your, what's the name of your local board game cafe, Chris? It's Board Beans Cafe. It's Fraser and Betsy, and they are wonderful, wonderful human beings. And so what, what have they done? They've got a rental service. A rental service. It is, it is honestly like, if, if, you, if I could go back in time and speak to like 11-year-old Chris and say, look... Some 2020 is going to be a really awful time, but there are some really good people there and some lovely things that will happen that will, for a few hours at least, take your mind off it. Then I will be put at ease because this is one of those things really. And it is such a wonderful thing where basically um, you can subscribe to different levels of subscription, different pay levels and get different numbers of games. Um, I get four games a month and they just turn up at my door and... I get an email saying, do you want to renew your subscription for another month? And I go, yep. And what games would you like? I look at our list and you can see, okay, these are the ones that are in quarantine. These are the ones that are out and these are the ones that are in stock. Yeah. And it honestly, it's like I'm, I've been asked to do my Christmas list once a month. <laughs> and <laughs> Fraser turned up the other day and he had like a pile of boxes there. And he said, yeah, I just, um, I've got a recommendation for you as well. Here's Blood Rage. I was like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to play that. But I just didn't feel like I could feasibly kind of find um, somebody to play that um, in my uh, flat. But um, one of those games. <laughs> like someone hidden there. Yeah, just secreted. <laughs> Uh, what will happen today? Will I find someone who will play Blood Rage with me? <laughs> like, just just shake the box. Just open the door and just shake the front door and shake the box. Um, but um, one of the games I, I was lucky enough to play, because one of the beautiful things about this, one of the things I love about board game cafes in general, and Board Beans is great for this. It's a really lovely kind of atmosphere. And I've, I've actually gone down there and I've done like themed evenings. Um, Fraser was the one that introduced me to Scythe and Stonemaier games in general. And the reason why I was playing Viticulture in the last episode was because of Fraser. And um, uh, it's just that the, the quality of the game's there, but it's just a wonderful atmosphere. And um, one of the games I got in the post was Root, which I've always wanted to play. And I was unsure about playing it because there's a real cult following behind Root that people really love. It's a game that's two years old now. Pete, I know you played it at your board game cafe in Bristol. Yeah, it's lovely. And you'd wax lyrical about it. And I'd always really, really wanted to play it, but it's so expensive online. Um, but one of the reasons why I want to discuss it is two things. One, that I've just been able to get a copy to play from Fraser at the Board Game Cafe. So you're showing off. Yeah, I'm flexing. Oh, look what I've got. I've got a nice game. Flexing my cardboard. <laughs> and, and two, it's actually going to come back in stock because they've just released two more expansions for this game. So now's a really good time to get root. So you mentioned that the game is... Ex- quote expensive but w- yeah. but my 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 belief is that's built that's basically because of scalpers right it's usually not an expensive yeah, game. it's not because of uh, the company at all whatsoever this is because the game has become so popular yeah because it was um i think it was believed it was kickstarted it was yeah, so it was, popular yeah. um that people just can't get enough of it and there, there were there's not enough copies out there really to satisfy demand i would define it as the cutest war game and it's actually a bit of a Trojan horse, this game, because if you if you really like war games, but you're at the moment you're you know isolating with somebody who doesn't, hmm. and you want to scratch that itch, get root. So, so let's let's just let's define our terms, Chris. Yes, <laughs> because draw the line. Because when you say war games, yes. What you mean is stuff along the lines of like I mean the classic is Risk. Yeah. of that sort of genre it's it what it's not the 
Boroughs and Badgers, for example. It's not like a tabletop skirmish miniatures game in this way. No, it's not that at all. It's it's It, it kind of scratches that itch. It's mm. a bit like the, the Coke that Dan's drinking right now. It right. just does the job. Um, it's not like the full-blown kind of version. Um, right. But that is not to render it a disservice because actually this is something it's going to be on the table more and more for several reasons. Yeah. Um, it's basically the Enid Blyton, George R. R. Martin crossover you never thought you needed. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's one of the nicest war game experiences yeah, I've ever had. Really I've played is. a few war games. Sam and I played um, War of the Ring for several hours one day. And... And usually when Sam rolls a dice and he takes out my army, I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm really kind of cursing. In Roots, you know, because it's so adorable, you go, oh, you wiped out my army. That's hilarious. Look at you, these cute little animals. Mm. Um, oh, you, hang on, you've, you partnered with me and now you're stabbing me in the back. Oh, that's hilarious. Mm. And it's, it's, it's really interesting, this kind of paradox of emotions. You've got this very, very cute aesthetic. It is adorable. But actually, behind it, it's 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 really kind of cutthroat and quite sinister. Um, it takes place. The game is set in this this woodland, which is under the rule of the Marquis de Cats, who is this very angry but adorable set of orange cats whose lumber empire essentially dominates the forest. So they start the game already dominating the board. They're everywhere. They they have overthrown the monarchy of birds that used to rule the forest, who are now being you know isolated in one corner of the wood. But beneath the surface lies this um, spirit of rebellion, which is the Woodland Alliance. And then you've just got one character called the Vagabond, and it's just a single wooden figure who just goes off on his own little adventures. And if he wants to, he can kind of engage and help you out. But really, he can just go off and do his own quests, and he'll only support, he'll only help you if you can help him. And what I'm hinting at here is the major USP for this game is that it is an asymmetrical game. Mm. So what I mean by that is that, yes, there are turns, everyone does, but what each player does is different to the other. Now, there are obviously merits and limitations to that because when you're teaching the game first time, it's four times as much of the teach because you have to explain what each particular character does for each person and to everyone else. That's the thing that's put me off. Yeah, but actually, it's really easy. Yeah, it's really easy. Because you've got a very neat player map that tells you everything you need to do. Yeah. The setup is dead easy. Um, I was actually surprised actually how easy it is to pick up because you get a lot of stuff in there. You don't just get a rule book. You get also, a, you know, a recommended tutorial guide, you know, for setting up. But also you get what is called the law of Ruth, which is this quite intimidating glossary of stuff to kind of remind you of what's going on. And I thought, oh, no, am I going to be able to teach this sufficiently, let alone learn it? But actually, it, it is, it's almost actually over-explaining, I would say, mm. which is a rarity. Um, because it is actually quite intuitive, much more so than, say, Spirit Island, Sam, which we spoke about a few pods ago. So even though this is like, is there four different Four different factions, factions yeah. Factions. Have you, uh, have you been playing this two-player mainly? Yeah, two to three-player. I, I kind of doubled up in one area just so I could get that feeling of a three-player game. Because I was, was going to say, like, how does it work as a two-player what's quite good is they actually give you recommended pairings they are conscious of that fact and they're worried that it might seem a little bit unfair but um but actually the game is surprisingly well balanced i know there's been some chat about online about some characters being more overpowered than others but actually what tends to happen is that players will just say hang on they're winning and and it's actually a bit like Catan. it's about those partnerships that are forged around the table or broken up that make the game interesting. So are the win states then is, is, is the same for everyone? Is it just a sort of points-based? 
Sort of the win, win state is points based. You can go into combat and it's just a t- rolling two dice. It's a really interesting kind of experience, I must admit. And it was one that I was really wary about buying because one of the worries about a game like this is that once you've played every faction, which is really the lure of going back and playing it, is there enough there for you to keep coming back? Mm. And I would argue there is um, because there's enough variety within that just through things such as crafting the chance of the dice there is on the other side of the board a completely different setup there's you know you don't you can specify what type of clearings you have on the other side of the board so you can make the game board unique every time you mm. play which is not often talked about in reviews actually and Kyle Ferrin's artwork is just adorable oh it's incredible and and it just fosters i don't know what it is but it just fosters that sense of no hard feelings yeah yeah like there, there are cards that you'll pull that are literally like, you know, the card is like stabbed in the back or like, like murder, like murdered on the road and like things like that, like really horrible, horrible terms. And it's just drawn in this like cheeky, you know, oh, cheeky little characters. Oh, it's not. It's horrid, but it's it's really well put together. The thing I love about it is just how thematic the whole thing feels like it gets across what civilization doesn't. Like each of the each of the different factions feels really different to play in this war game. If you're playing as um, the vagabond, like you really do have to lean into what that character is about and kind of start to role play as the vagabond. And and as Pete alluded to there, it's not surprising that this game has spawned its own RPG yeah. that's set in the world of Root. Yeah. And I mentioned at the beginning there's some expansions coming out. There was one that came out the same year this came out called the Riverfolk expansion, which includes a lizard cult. So you've got cultists there and you've got a Riverfolk company, which are basically a marketplace. So you've got like, for those who are interested in their kind of like economic board games, they're satisfied here. So there's almost like each faction is a different genre of board game. Mm. And they're all really beautifully meshing. Um, The two most recent expansions are the Underworld expansion, which has the moles, which are a a rival royalty, a duchy that are underground. (laughs) And you've got this kind of corporate espionage spiring, which are the crows. And, and if that's not enough, they've also released the Clockwork expansion, which is an automaton system. So I could play this by myself, but make the factions automatons, which I'm playing against. So it's and and it's also great because it means that if I, if you and I were to play it, Pete, mm. it could be us two versus the game. We could actually team up together, Ooh, so you can make it a cooperative game. I'd like that through that. So there's so many different shades and permutations here. And I honestly genuinely thought, okay, this is a bit gimmicky now. They're clearly just releasing releasing more animals because people have got bored playing the same factions over and over again. Yeah. But genuinely, I was pleasantly surprised yeah. by this. And I was always on the fence as to whether I would purchase this or not. But when it comes back in stock and pre-orders are there and I can get it from Leader Games, I will probably buy it. You know how uh, last time we had a chat, I I was <laughs> genuinely surprised by uh, a game uh, uh, and 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 it's sort of subverting expectations. Well, guess what, guys? Well, guess what? My su- my expectations have been subverted <laughs> once again as to as to as to what what a game is that I've been playing uh, recently. Um, so, uh, have you guys heard of a game called Hypnospace Outlaw? You heard of this? Yes, I have. You know, yes. you know this one? Okay, so... V- vaguely. Vaguely, okay. So um, so it's going to sound really dumb when, <laughs> when I describe it um, because, um, in a way, uh, it's kind of a dumb idea for a game. Uh, and basically, it's also, it's, it's also fantastic. You know how... Did you guys ever have a Geocities page? I, I did not. 
So I did. I am not surprised. <laughs> that does not, no, that does not surprise me. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Should we try and guess what he talked about on his GeoCities page? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go I on. Think it, I think it would have been, I think it would have been music he likes. Yeah, it would all have been about the music. Right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild guess at just like The Cure or something like that. The Cure. The Cure. Sure. Damn. I don't think I've ever listened to The Cure in my life. Not knowingly, anyway. Um, no, it was uh, it was for um, it was for the band that I was in when I was uh, when I was of in my course. late teens. Yeah. So uh, and uh, so um, for for the young people who have come to us for the fortnight coverage that we do. Um, so uh, oh yeah, d- d- that's coming up just at just, the end of the show. Yeah, dance right. fortnight section. Stick around for that. Season six is on its way. <laughs> yeah. There's a weird thing that if you fast forward it, you just don't it, get it. It doesn't play. Yeah. You have to listen to the whole thing. It knows. It's like DRM. Yeah. And um, so uh, basically, what was the band called, Pete? What Sorry, was the I'm band free. called? I will yeah. never reveal that information <laughs> because oh, it'll be something. It'll be something like my lonely disaster, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my heartbroken. Yes. Something along that. Yeah. Peter Willington and the Cricket. Yeah, something, something about that. <laughs> Six pockets full of despair. I played on the same stage as uh, Matt Bellamy from Muse. Not the same time, though. Not the same time, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure we've, we've probably all been on the same stage as someone famous <laughs> yeah, in our lives. I was say. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so there you go. So anyway, my GeoCities page is all about that. But GeoCities... Um, was basically this sort of democratization of the internet whereby anybody could have a GeoCities page because obviously uh, you would go from your homepage of Yahoo Search to uh, sign up for your GeoCities page. And that would kind of be this, it was this really super easy way of making a website back in the day that when really making proper websites was really all about like actual kind of lines of code and stuff like that. It was all drag and drop. It was kind of the precursor to websites like Wix and... Um, the other one the WordPress w- WordPress and stuff like that that's what that was about and that is what this game is about so this is about a late 1990s alternative future where there is this software and uh, I believe it is the hypnospace and the entire game is that you're an enforcer well the, the, the game starts off that you are this enforcer and the idea is that you are uh, you've been given access to hypnospace and you have like these areas that you patrol um, and they are literally websites. So you should think of them as old school websites, spinning GIFs. And it takes this idea that was like Yahoo, because I remember like submitting my band's page to Yahoo directories. Like <laughs> you would have directories of content and because there wasn't that much stuff on the internet. So you are basically enforcing this stuff. So you have these zones that you patrol and you're looking for content that is illegal or um, like violent or um, like like bullying or um, a scam or something along those lines. And you essentially are given these like missions where you have to go and find these things and then use your tools, your hypnospace enforcer tools to then ban the content. So... Uh, one of the first, and I won't spoil much about the the, the game, uh, but um, the one of the first things that you get is um, this uh, mission where you have to go and find infringement of IP law, and that sounds really tedious, but it's actually <laughs> very, very, very well put together and very funny. So the whole thing is. 
hilarious. The um, so basically, like there is this there's this image um, of this like cartoon animal from like the fifties or sixties. That that's the conceit. And Gooper, Gooper. There we are, Gooper. So like you ban these images on these people's websites, um, and then later on down the line in the game those websites change and they say things like, man, I can't believe the enforcers came in and took all those images off. And so now suddenly, because you took all those images down of Gooper, now the hip hypno space, the pages now start to talk more about the enforcers are coming in and like free Gooper and like all these like little social petitions that were going on at the time. So another thing that one of the things that they go on to later is this idea that you get to learn about these characters that are in 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 the world. So for example, there's um, I think his name's Zane, and he has this website called Zane Rocks, and it is Dan. <laughs> exactly what you assumed my website would have been yeah. right zane yeah. zane zane is just an absolute ass like and like and he's young and he's just allowed on the internet on this version of the internet for the first time and he's able to speak his mind and he's not being subverted and again like in that era this was a really powerful tool for young people to get their voice heard. And unfortunately, they didn't have the sophistication and the sort of like cultural intelligence by this period of time to actually realise that they that, that they shouldn't be doing some of the things or talking about some of the things that they were talking about online. Um, as I say, like, this thing is absolutely a comedy. The music in it is brilliant and hilarious and like whenever you go onto a website and the music starts off like you laugh but then you're like Argh! like it's you, yeah. you really get that it's so frustrating every time you reload a page yeah. are they are they all basically just like this the the space jam website uh, yeah oh man yes. yeah oh, like, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. so if you're again like if you've if you've no idea what we're talking about just literally the space jam website is still up from that era and it is beautiful but th but there's an but there's an interesting point i think because i've been playing this game as well and for the first like couple of hours i was like who who is this game for like is this, <laughs> is this game yeah. just for people who remember what you know the like the internet was like and i think and i think there is a bit of that but as you st as you like get over that initial like nostalgia wave and it just just hits you like square in yeah. the face there's actually like a, a really interesting like detective puzzle yeah, game yeah. in here like that it is that lovely feeling of like of like tracking stuff down and like following the threads yeah. of pages onto another page onto another page onto another page until you find that thing that you're that you're looking for that's exactly it and I, I think that there's i think there are two kind of camps of this right like for me for me i think like the thing i loved about this is the the writing, the art, the like in jokes, the 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 fact that they really do know what they're talking about, like, yeah. and and how it really does capture, you know, um, you know, Pokemon, Winamp, desktop toys, spy, like people, like the early internet spyware nonsense, like Bonsai Buddy. It's super strange playing this game and then quitting to your desktop, yeah, because it simulates a complete the complete desktop experience so you can download programs you can download apps you can set your wallpaper you can um download like antivirus software one of the first things that happens is uh you get a virus and you have to download the the virus software to, to, to clear it from your computer yeah. and it 
it does all this little stuff like because you're always like clicking in windows and searching in a browser and then you when you close back to your desktop like you know that feeling when you booted up a computer in hd for the first mm. time you're like wow what? wow the icons are tiny and defined <laughs> and there's no rough edges to anything yeah. like i can't see the pixels anymore it's like, like you're in the grid yeah. Like yeah, no, it is it is exactly that. And like and like I think if you you know, if any of those like touch points are like immediately sparking things of like, you know, memories of like being on the internet in the in the era of like the, the, the millennium bug. Right. Like if, you know, if that sort of thing like gets to you, if you, if, you know, if you remember in Carter's mind maze, like oh. you, you will, you will really like these things. I actually don't think I would want to play a no. version. I wouldn't want to play the sequel to this game where they do the internet now. Like you I want f- a prequel at least. I f- but I, I feel like I feel, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like there's a, yeah, like, it's that kind of glory era of the internet that you kind of... I definitely rose-tint this era of the internet to my to myself because I, I remember it really strongly and having a great time with it and, and feeling like this was the future and it was being really... It was really exciting. And then, like, going back and doing it, like, playing around with this, it's just been a, a really great nostalgia trip, but it's also been... And, and really funny, but it also has kind of highlighted this thing of, like... Oh yeah, like we had this really great power and you know opportunity, and really all we did was we put you know we put up <laughs> stupid pictures of our bandmates and uh, and um, yeah, like sort of squandered it a bit. It's yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's it's absolutely brilliant. And again, uh, I, this might be the third pop- podcast in a row, but if you like in Carter Core. I know, honestly. Oh. What is that? Oh. Really- <laughs> well, I, I, I had a haircut the other day. Um, the barbers in my village is open. I didn't go for a lockdown haircut simply because we didn't have the clippers and I didn't trust my partner who doesn't measure anything to uh, create a symmetrical haircut. So uh, Measure? Right. How, how does your hair get cut? <laughs> Do you take a ruler with you? With scissors, you know, they, they gauge, they look, they stop and look around and go, oh, yeah, hang on, that needs to be a little, that needs to be cut a little shorter. That's what I mean. I don't mean like getting a set square out and us, you know. <laughs> did, you, did, you go, did you go to Tony? I didn't go to Tony's, no. Apologies, Tony. <gasps> oh. uh, I stayed in the village. Oh, Tony will know. I know, I feel really bad. But it was getting too long. I, I got to the point where I could feel a draft on the back, of, you know, it was going underneath the hair on the back of my neck and lifting it up. Oh, that's when you know it's going well. That's, that's when you know you're hitting that sweet spot. It was like, you know, the bottom of your grandparents' sofa where you've got the little curtain mm. at the bottom of your, your, your sofa, that thing. It was a bit like that at the back. The thing, the thing you've got to watch out for, Chris, is in my experience... Because I because I flit around hairdressers a lot. I have no allegiance to really to particular hairdressers. So I'll just go to whatever's most economical and um, will save me the most time in terms of do I have to queue or not. And whenever every single time I've gone to a new hairdressers, they always critique the work of the previous yep. hairdresser. <laughs> right. No matter what happens, is they always there's always something wrong with it or they've not done anything right. So yep. Tony gonna know. He's going to know, of course. Oh, he's going to know. He's going to know. And also, like, I absolutely love that, that in all walks of life in which people have, like, a skill, whether that be a haircut, 
re like repairing your car, putting yeah. in an extension on your house. Oh, it looks like you've it looks like you've hired an absolute charlatan <laughs> to do this. You got some right cowboys here. Yeah, it's just <laughs> um, no. But the weird thing was, I had to go. Um, I had to wait outside until um, the person inside had left. The previous person, I went in. I had to go with a mask on. And one thing I hadn't realised. Well, well there's two things really because I have been wearing a mask um, in places. Wearing glasses, it, they steam up immediately. Yes. If you're wearing a mask, yeah. Add to that also that when you're getting your hair cut and you're wearing a mask, basically what you've got is a little dustpan that you've stuck <laughs> to the front of your face. And yeah. and I had quite a lot of hair and and it's quite rough and wiry. And after a while, these flecks of hair would just go down and they'd just catch in this mask. And it was up to the point where... I felt if I took the mask off, I would just have like a proper full-on goatee of just my own hair just stuck to my face. Right. And it was going up my nose, in my mouth and everything. And I got to this really awful bit where uh, um, the, the barber was there with the, the, the kind of, the, 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 kind of the, 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 the razor, the electric razor on the side of my head like that. And I could feel myself about to sneeze. And, you know, it's never good to sneeze when you're having your hair cut anyway, but when you're sneezing into a mask that is full of hair and it, can, it cannot go anywhere else. Oh, it was awful. It was just awful. Basically, for half a second, my mask just inflated, then deflated. And it's a bit like in those cartoons where they put something over a grenade. And just yeah. Like, and yeah. everyone knew, everyone knew what was going on under that mask because everything has just basically come out and then just stuck everything back to my face. <laughs> And, you, and obviously, you can't just walk out the shop and just take it off straight away because you've got everything, all this detritus uh, stuck to the front of your face. So I had to walk home with it and just come in and just kind of shake it off and stuff. But yeah, surreal, really. It's been good, though. Like, was well, slightly weird that things have been almost maybe returning to some sort of normality. Yeah. Like, me and my wife keep on doing things. And, um, like, we had uh, my brother-in-law, uh, her brother, and his partner over for... Uh, we had a takeaway and we played um, Six Nymphed last night. And after, and after it finished, it was just like, that felt almost normal. Mm. <laughs> like, we were still, like, really conscious of things. And luckily, we um, have a downstairs loo, and we always have that as kind of like the COVID loo. So um, if if we've had anyone over, like, in the garden, they needed to, like, use the loo in an emergency, we've always made sure that that loo is, like, clean and there's a, there's a separate towel that they can use and there's yeah. hand sanitizer on the way in and way out. So that's still, like, the designated... Um, um, sort of coronavirus toilet um, while, whilst people can now actually come into our house and, and visit. So that's still slightly weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, those moments now we turn, sort of turn to each other and go, so that, was, that was just like it used to be before. Like, and and yeah. I was lucky enough that um, the first weekend that we were allowed to have people in our house, Chris came around um, and we... And we um, sort of eight Pringles. I remember yep. that. <laughs> yeah, we each had a separate tub though, a little tube. <laughs> yeah, tube. Yeah. yeah, of course. One of the best things to come out of this of this incident is insisting on two separate tubs <laughs> yeah. of, Pring <laughs> of Pringles. You and Lisa had to share one. I had one to myself. It was glorious. What, one, pr one tub of Pringles per household. Mm. <laughs> what what flavours did you go for though? Uh, paprika. Oh, the best flavour, Dan. Good choice, good choice. Uh, uh, Chris, I was I was very reticent about paprika. 
I always thought it was a bit like ready salted in like, mm, do you, I'll eat them, but you know, <laughs> uh, but then I actually tried them and they're super nice. It's that little hint of chili in the background that gets you. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily pa- the paprika, like that little, that little like hint of smokiness and sweetness is nice, but it's that little like draft of chili. Uh, through the crisp <laughs> really without kind of delving too far down the pringle rabbit hole um oh do please the pringle everyone tried uh, the chili cheese flavor it's only kind of ever limited edition but chili yeah. cheese flavor pringles chili cheese yeah no chili They're- cheese flavor absolutely delicious i've mm. i had them like years ago i found them once and then my wife because i'd always talked about how they're the most amazing crisps ever and my wife <laughs> managed to find them like a couple of years later she found this kind of like somewhere online that was selling this spanish version of these chili cheese pringles and they're amazing so seek them out so yeah we had a good time though sam wasn't it and i, I know your toilet very well that was a toilet in which i cracked my head open lest we forget and yeah. um, mm. And we we sat down because Sam was super excited because he had a backlog of games that he... Uh, so many. <laughs> so many. Basically, all we did was sit there and just um, play through this, this back catalogue of games, at which, okay. at which point he let out a sigh of relief. Like I said, this kind of sounds like therapy for Sam. Yeah, well, just because lockdown happened just around my birthday. So, and I got for my birthday, um, like, Eldorado... Uh, Valley of the Kings, Undaunted Normandy, and Great Western Trail. And we managed just to squeeze in Valley of the Kings and El Dorado just before lockdown happened. And so I have never played Undaunted Normandy before, and I've only like played Great Western Trail a couple of times. So it was the first time showing that game to Chris, and I think he really enjoyed it. Loved it. And uh, the first time we played Undaunted Normandy, which actually is... We kind of just played like the first starter mission. So good though. But we also played Cartographers, Ooh. which which we were kindly sent from Thunderworks Games uh, all the way from America. It left Thunderworks Games depot or uh, warehouse or whatever at the end of March. It then proceeded to sit in a Chicago airport for about two months. Ugh. And <laughs> then uh, only a couple of weeks ago, it was... Um, fortunate enough to arrive on my doorstep and chris you um pointed me towards cartographers ages and ages and ages ago this is even before it was nominated for the um kennerspiel de jar and that's like the connoisseurs game of the year i think is what it translates to it's definitely got a bit of the prestige in it but like what was it about the game chris that you thought like why why did you say oh this would be something that sam would like well, I knew that both you and Lisa, your wife, are very interested in roll and write games, and that's been long discussed. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not going to le- over-labour the point here, but yes, very much so. And I felt that Cartographers was a game that was doing something a little bit different with the roll and write, um, but only a little bit and just enough that made it distinctive. And there was a little bit also where you could deliberately, and I know this really chimes of you you could deliberately dick over the other player and yeah i know no no i'm not saying in a malicious sense but in that kind of Mm. playful kind of okay i've got my strategy here oh no what's sam giving me now this idea that you could and and that was one of the things that i was kind of slightly worried about and it actually put me at ease when we played it was actually that that level of interference with the other players 
it's, it's, it's very minor, actually. The beauty of it, as you'll probably discuss in a bit, is, is that you don't know when it's going to occur. Yeah. And um, it, it felt like they got that balance just right. There was that, that sense that this is my piece, it's untouchable, my piece of paper. But there is this little lingering worry that at some point a goblin is going to turn up and potentially wreck my world. Yeah, it, it's it's super nice. So it is. So this is like a roll and write, but it's a flip and write instead. So a bit like Welcome to, you're drawing cards from a deck and... Um, you uh, and, and depending on what that card is, you then have to draw that onto your map because you all play as cartographers. And this is set in the role player universe, which uh, which is another Thunderworks game which I haven't played. And role player is like a um, a dice drafting game where essentially you're trying to build the best RPG character. So, which is a really interesting concept. And uh, so this is a little bit like that, where essentially you're building an rpg world on this little like grid reference map you're a cartographer going out into the world and exploring it and coming back and and showing um the queen of this world what you find and so there's all like the the general uh, rpg tropes of villages farms uh big like rivers and waterways and uh, forests and those are the four things that you'll put onto your map so you flip over cards and on that card will either be um a choice of two different like things to fill in the grid so like village or forest or it will be one particular um, icon and then a choice of two different shapes that you'll be filling in and all the shapes uh like tetronomo style things like so a bunch of squares all put together in in different sort of shapes and so you pick the one you want fill it in your grid and that's it but what cartographers does that slightly different and i think one of the reasons why it stood out enough to be nominated um in the spiel de jar awards and the kenner spiel is that it has a really really interesting way it does scoring um the game works across the four seasons of the year and at the end of each season the game scores but it will score differently for every single season so when you're setting up the game, you will have um, four cards at the top of the table that have A, B, C, and D on them. And then you pick four other cards at random, and those define four different ways that you'll be able to score points during your game. So it might be you've got to get um, farmland next to water, and for each one that you have next to each other, you'll score one points. Or you need to complete uh, an entire row and fill in all the spaces of an entire row in your grid, and for that you'll score three points. So how the game works is, is that when you get to the end of um, spring, you will score A and B. So you'll be trying to meet the criteria for A and B during the spring phase. Then during summer, you do B and C. Then autumn, you do C and D. And then in winter, you do D and A. So... It's got this nice little like um, scoring mechanism, which kind of always keeps things ticking and bubbling over. And what I think my wife and I, and I think you, Chris, really enjoyed about the game is that games where you have to plan two or three steps ahead, I really struggle to enjoy. They're the kind of games I really wish I was good at. And I remember as a kid, I used to be really good at that kind of planning and foresight but 
since I hit like my mid thirties, I've like lost that ability to be able to like plan three or four moves ahead and anticipate what the opponent's going to do. But because cartographers works in this very, very simple and clear cut way, it's really easy to be able to plan a few steps ahead because each of the scoring mechanisms only ever correlates to one specific sort of land type. So there'll only ever be one scoring that goes to villages, only one that goes to forests, only one that goes to farms and waters, whatever. So when a card comes over that is of, say, villages, and you know that's not going to be scoring this turn, you can easily go, well, I'll plan ahead for when that is going to score then. I'll like look ahead, see what I need to do and see if that fits in somewhere in my grid. And because it's that simple and that sort of clear cut, it's really nice that then when you eventually get to that part of the game where that letter will be scoring, you go, I did that four turns ago. Look at look at that now. Like, oh, I'm well smart. But what I really like is the fact that, and, and I suppose one of the appeals for me is that more than any other flip and write and roll and write, it's a theme that excites me. You are map mm. makers. So you look at this and not only, yes, you're satisfying a criteria of win states. Okay, I, I put um, the uh, the kind of woodland terrain next to the water because I score points for this particular season. But actually what you're doing is you're creating a landscape, mapping a landscape that you could literally take and use in an RPG. That's what yeah. I really, really like is the fact that you are mapping a world. It's almost like when you start in an open world game and you've got that fog of war and you can see yourself at the centre and you can only see what's directly in front of you. But the more you advance, the more that world gets fleshed out. And it's really lovely having that. And it works so well with a flipping yeah. right genre, really. And, and like you said, Chris, the other sort of twist, the sort of special source in, in cartographers is, is this idea of the goblin cards. So at the start of each season, there's four goblin cards in the game a goblin card will get added to the deck. And when you're drawing from the deck, if you reveal a goblin card, you then have to pass your sheet of paper to an opponent, and then they will draw that shape onto your map. And for each space next to that goblin shape that's drawn, you will get minus one point um, at the end of the round. What's nice is if you don't reveal a goblin card, it stays in the deck, and then you're going to add another one in the next in the next season and we've played games where we've ended up getting to the final season and no goblin cards have shown up in the deck at all so we know that there's four in there and we've hit like two in quick succession and so it's 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 lovely it's like the only flip and right roll and right whatever um that I, the game that i've played that actually feels like it has an element of tension to it um, that this thing could happen that could just disrupt all of these sort of like plans or these scoring criteria that you've been sort of working towards. And it's really dynamic. It's really, really flexible. There's 16 different ways of scoring. So for every game you play, the, the scoring criteria of A, B, C, and D will always be different. There's two different maps that come straight out of the box. One of them slightly more difficult than the other one, where it's had a bit of space filled in. There's like, like a canyon in the middle of the game. So it's been the first game in a long, long, long time where we've sat down and played it, Chris, and immediately we finished it and gone, should we play again? It sounds really interesting. I think the idea of it kind of having a, a, a run right game with that kind of narrative drive, I think 
I've obviously mm. not played as much uh, roll and write games as you. My feeling has always been um, when I've played them is that I've enjoyed them, but it's it's for me it's just a game of numbers. It's working out the order of the numbers that I need to do it. I'm not really getting a lot of the the the, the narrative coming through, the story coming through behind the game. So if a game like Welcome Two, I'm a big fan of Welcome Two, but for me it's just numbers it's it's it, the the idea and the kind of the plot i say plot but the kind of the scenario around it doesn't really mean a lot to me so it's actually really interesting to see that kind of that game structure but with uh, a solid kind of narrative device behind it but i get what you mean because the I'd, the story in inverted commas of welcome to is you're trying to build a perfect neighborhood but when the game is finished it's just a messy sheet with lots of numbers and yeah. like pencil lines drawn in between stuff and it's kind of like yeah I may have won but this doesn't look great I don't want to live there yeah you don't want to live there however with cartographers like if you really even if you don't take the time to do it and you don't you're not drawing every tree perfectly and you're not drawing every single house perfectly like it doesn't matter even at the end of the game you have something which looks like a map like it looks like a place that things could exist within mm. and while I, while I was playing it the other day and I was waiting for my wife to take a turn I just started like drawing roads in between some of the oh that's lovely some of the like like the locations and i started like like shading in some of the, like the villages and all this kind of stuff and i've seen i've seen online that people play this with like colored pencils because every single different terrain has a different color with it so people like actually like color in the green forests and like put in the, the blue rivers and the like the more like tan darker brown colors of, of the farmland so like people are actually using this game to create like maps so I, I i totally understand that how that might appeal to you dan that you actually finish the game and win or lose you'll still like feel like you've created something out of it listen uh the internet is a magical and beautiful and powerful thing uh and it has brought us a question from one of our listeners Oh. Uh, so we have at Lone Gamesman to thank for this question. Uh, they sent this, I'm assuming, via Twitter. Thank you very much for that. You can do that via Twitter. You can do it via Facebook. You can do it via email, sayinginpod at gmail.com. Um, send us a question. We've run out of questions, so send us a question. Um, okay. Question is, get your thinking hats on. Um, do you consider Kickstarter brackets mm. board games video games or other forms of projects a force for good or the downfall of civilization or maybe something in between do you like what kickstarter offers as a potential backer um that's a very good question i feel like i've i feel like i got really excited about kickstarter to begin with i do like to support things early on if i can if i feel like you know, um, like Fowers, for example. I mean, I've not backed them, but like, you know, Chris, you're a fan of, of Fowers and, and, and very much so, and, yes. And the good stuff there. And obviously, that's the kind of game that wouldn't get made, maybe, if there wasn't Kickstarter, you know, like little projects where it's like, is, you know, you test the, you test the, you test the water. You don't have to get it into stores. You don't have to put it onto the internet. You can just, you can just say, hey, how many of you people want to give me 30 quid? I'm not as experienced as you and Sam are with Kickstarters. Um, I've only really backed a couple of things, actually. Um, recently, actually, I backed a, um, an RPG from Rebellion um, 
within the 2000 AD universe. And that, that's really interesting. And I, I quite like, as you say, Pete, having something there, forgetting about it sometimes and suddenly ping, the Kickstarter app gives me an update. And what I quite like about what Tim Fowers does is that you're very much part of that. You feel like you're part of the process, strangely. Like mm. I was sent, you know, we were all sent the rules in advance, not, not to look at, but to actually make suggestions and how we can make things clearer. Uh, I've not really engaged with it, but it's been fascinating to watch other people do that and to actually to be part of that collective endeavour with somebody who's far off somewhere else um, who is using Kickstarter to work with, uh, and I hate to use that kind of capitalist term, but yeah, what is essentially a kind of a customer. I've, I've paid for something. I'm, I'm kind of a, in some respects, I'm a shareholder of this particular product um, to some extent. Yeah. And it's, it is a surreal experience. Um I see that bit as a bonus for me personally. It's not some, It's not a reason why I get into it. For me, it's because I'm interested in the product and I want to see it out there. And if this is the only way in which I'm going to see it, so be yeah. it really. I mean, I've, I must have backed a few now. I must have backed a, a dozen, maybe? Maybe a dozen. I mean, how, how many have you backed, Sam? Yeah, yeah, about that. I mean, I can count them. One, two, three, five, eight, 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 ten. Yep, yeah, actually. Ten yeah, different same things. Same here, yeah. I've done three, uh, so I I have um, backed the adventure uh, RPG from Rebellion. Um, I backed a artist's kind of book in terms of uh, learning how to draw because that was something I was interested in. Um, and then obviously, I mean, the sole reason why Kickstarter should exist and should be hailed by everyone, Kickstarter brought us Shenmue Three. Mm-hmm. I mean, need I say more? Really. The fact is, that game could not get made. It could not get made. And then Kickstarter walked along and they went, you know what? Yeah, go for it. There we go. So in Dan's eyes, it's it's the saviour of everything. One of the things I also like is is looking at... So I tend to back things that are like either very small teams or individuals where I'm like, this isn't going to get picked up by someone much, much bigger, but you also clearly know what you're doing and you've set the... Yes. I, I get really, as a producer, I get really like excited when I see that somebody's scoped something really well. Like I, I, like, I look at something and I go, oh, that's, oh, that's really doable and I know you can do it, so I'm going to give you 30 quid. <laughs> like, so one of the things we've backed recently is a game called um, uh, Artifact. Uh, yes. And in fact, not re- we didn't back it recently. It's come through recently, um, and um, I was really excited about that because I was like, I I wanted to get involved in the um, Zine Quest, which was this, which is this thing that Kickstarter does every year, um, and I wanted to back something. And it was like, oh, this is a solo RPG. I'd love to give that a go. It's going to be really creative, and the art for it looks great. You know, and, and and so clearly, yes, like, and it's, you know, cheap entry price and this person seems pretty right on and pretty nice and level-headed. Here you go, here, here's the money. Whereas, like, you know, I could do that or I could go and buy D&D, but, like, mm. it feels like you're kind of contributing to the cultural improvement of, like, the whole. I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head in terms of where my scepticism skept- comes from is that how I see Kickstarter is this is my chance to enhance the individual or this is right. my chance to support a, a very individual idea. For me, it feels more of a space 
to push those those ideas to the front. Yeah. And I think I can always go into a game shop and buy X, Y, and Z, but there are like artifacts, like um, Delve is another solo RPG that I backed recently, um, like um, things like Champions of the Wild and um, Tempwork Assassins was the first thing I ever, I ever backed on, on Kickstarter. Like these were things in some cases where I met the person who was making it and like knowing that I was able to contribute to it and, and then knowing that, you know, I was one of the hundreds or so people who really liked what they were doing to put some money to, behind it. It feels like it's a place that really makes that kind of difference to someone's career and, and their yeah. development and their life rather than throwing money towards towards a company or, or a corporation. Yeah. I think any kind of environment that is able to give a platform to new voices that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to get an idea that they have made. And so this gives someone an opportunity to put it out into a domain, have people look at it and say, you know what? Yes, this is a great idea. I'm gonna, I wanna help you do that. Yeah. Pete, if your band was around now, would you use Kickstarter, do you think? <laughs> yeah, Kickstart the album. Kickstart, yeah, the- uh, Table of Tears. The table of Tears. My, mine lonely, um, my lonely head, a bathtub of tranquility. Yes, the thought, the thought remains. Was that the name Ooh, of the band? Oh, that would be good. The thought <laughs> remains. <laughs> oh. Are you looking at band name generators by any chance? No, no, no. These are just all off the top of my. I'm, I was very good in the oh late nineties. I was of, very good in the late nineties <laughs> of coming up with. <laughs> <laughs> Emo style band. Well, I mean, I, I want to generate that. Uh, we've got Bewitched Midwinter. My Framed Distrust. Uh, there you go. Another wounded one. Castle. Ooh. Flesh Breath. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Willington and Flesh Breath. Flesh Breath. <laughs> <laughs> Number one this week. Climbing three. <laughs> Incidentally, ladies and gentlemen, Peter's asked me to let you know that he once played on the same stage as Matthew Bellamy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God, flesh, flesh breath. <laughs> that was staying in with me, Sam Turner. There was Chris Darby. There was Daniel Frost, and there was rock superstar Peter Willington. If you know the name of his band then please do get in touch with us straight away twitter at staying in pod facebook at staying in pod and instagram at staying in pod or you can email us staying in pod at gmail.com and even if you don't know the name of his band then please just take a guess because it's lots of fun uh thinking up names of 90s bands also, uh, I've got to say a big thank you to everyone at Thunderworks Games. Thank you for sending us a copy of the wonderful cartographers. I know it was a long time in coming, uh, mainly caused by shipping delays um, from the coronavirus, but it was definitely, definitely worth the wait. And thank you as well to you for listening. Uh, we know that it's difficult enough at the moment to stay safe and follow the rules and keep up to date with exactly what's going on. So we really appreciate it that you're taking the time to download our show every couple of weeks 
and listen to what we have to say, even though sometimes it's complete bobbins. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, for everything you do to support the show. Until next time, bye-bye.